For my last sermon here, I wish we could all gather together. But since that is not possible, we will just connect through God's spirit and through the screen. I want you to hear these poignant words for our time in their totality. Picture yourself like the Babylonians in exile to whom this was written. We are in our own modern day exile, estranged and exiled to our homes during this quarantine. Before I read the scripture today from Isaiah 55, you can turn there now if you'd like, hear the wise words of Ellen F. Davis, a professor at Duke Divinity School who writes on this segment of history in Isaiah in her book, Getting Involved with God. So while we are in this world, we are wise to plunge often and deep into obscurity where God's protective presence is most palpable, we must choose solitude often. This will strengthen us to accept the obscurity we did not choose when, like our prophet, we are sent into exile. And we all go there, one time or another. Then we must find our faith and our ministry in the place of loneliness, of no vision, in the hidden place despised by the world, yet made habitable for us through God's stupendous humility in Jesus Christ our Lord, with whom we find our only rest, through whom we offer all praise. Hear now the word of the Lord from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you just like I did with my faithful, loyal David. Look, I made him a witness to all peoples, a prince and a commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel who has glorified you. Seek the Lord and he can still be found. Call him while he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so he may have mercy on them. To our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans are not your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my plans higher than your ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This invitation is similar to some of the phrases in our call to worship that we use sometimes. It's an invitation, but not just any invitation. It's an invitation to a feast. In some translations, they title it an invitation to abundant life. There are several exhortations in a row in this passage, an unusual amount of them. 
repeatedly we are told to look and to listen. This passage reminds us also of the generosity of God. This rich feast just awaits for us. It's ready. This banquet symbolizes the gift of the new covenant with food and drink given to all who will partake. These gifts are a blessing and they're part of our covenantal relationship with God and our membership in God's kingdom. We are offered life in its fullest form. This text also points out that God will not only deliver us, but he'll give us a blessing, just like David received. The milk and the wine point to how lavish God's kingdom really is. We are offered salvation here. We are also reminded that we spend time and we spend money on things that don't always matter, on sometimes bread that doesn't nourish that this text talks about. But the true resources are those spiritual resources that we'll talk about in communion, the bread, the true bread, Jesus Christ, and the water that nourish us. Throughout the Bible, God draws God's chosen people into covenant. God is always the one initiating and awaiting our response. The promise to David in covenant form is transferred to the people and the nation of Israel. The previous chapter, 54, also speaks to this continuance, this permanence, and the enduring nature of this covenant. The covenant God previously orchestrated with Noah and with David both involve a blessing. God makes clear that David is blessed by the surety of God's love. David is glorified by God as nations seek him out because of God's presence upon Israel. It's seen, palpable, real, and experienced. These first few verses that take on a flavor of a call to worship turn into the form of repentance, one that is so apt and appropriate for our time and context. These verses say, let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord who is merciful and forgiving. I've heard from quite a few of you that you struggle with knowing what to pray for and how to pray for. It's so hard when there's so much wickedness in the world and so much, much that feels wrong. Beyond that, you don't often agree with or respect some of the politics going on, which also provides another, another layer of complexity in prayer. Praying faithfully and with conviction can be a challenge. I get these struggles and have experienced that myself at times. Scripture is a great place to turn to when we're at a loss for words. We can use these ancient words to speak to our situation. I challenge you to turn to some of these powerful words in Isaiah and pray them yourself when you are feeling that way. Gifted professor and theologian Walter Brueggemann gives further insight into these verses. The wicked spoken of are not the disobedient people in general. They're people that are so settled in Babylon and so accommodated to the imperial ways, they have no intention of making a positive response and of turning toward Yahweh's homecoming, the new Jerusalem. This return is calling them to embrace new hope and a new historical reality and possibilities. 
reorienting their lives in ways that they are not always even able to imagine. The current political and their public life. Doesn't that sound familiar, that we have a hard time imagining, reorienting to a different political reality? Isn't that what we need, that transformation? This requires a significant resolve to reorder the commitments of our lives. Sometimes we're too settled like the Babylonians were. How are the commitments of our lives reordered? And how are they ordered during this time? We need to enlarge our vision to be so hopeful that we realize and create a new historical reality around the world and here in Richmond. For the Yahweh is envisioning a radically new future in Jerusalem. For the many in this passage dragging their feet, not willing to make the change to leave Babylon and embark upon Jerusalem, Brueggemann says that perhaps it's because they're too comfortable, they're too content, or possibly the thought of leaving doesn't seem even real and accessible. For those in this category, the Yahweh they experience does not seem to have a clear path that they can choose. If they remain in this place, in this state of mind, they can fall into despair. How real this reality is for many people today. Sometimes it's too hard to trust in Yahweh because the path seems unclear and the path they chose to remain in to led them to be stuck and in despair. Some others live in Babylon too, even in our day, like those in the prison system. For some, they never receive the opportunity to find a new Jerusalem. According to the Prison Policy Initiative, there are currently 2.3 million locked up, many in jail for a long time without any trial. I'm often behind in viewing current movies. Recently, I finally just saw Just Mercy, starring Brian Stevenson, a young, accomplished, passionate lawyer who goes to the South, committing his life's work to freeing those in death row, often wrongly accused of acts they did not commit. One movie character he faces was unwilling to work with Stevenson because of that despair because the thought of changing or trying a new way was just too overwhelming and felt too insurmountable. It was too hard to trust the unknown path before him and that Yahweh did have a plan indeed through it all. One of my neighbors and friends who was recently ordained that some of you may know, Ashley Miehas, works in the prison system with those incarcerated, often for petty offenses where the time does not match the crime. While they live in their own Babylon and intense exile, she advocates for them and tries to remind them that salvation is at hand, as this passage does. While we may never walk the path of death row or through a prison, we can easily find ourselves in despair about the heavy troubles facing our world. When we get to this state, we are not always reflecting the trust in God's providential plan for us. We're forgetting verse 7 that says, we can return to the Lord and God will, he will be merciful on us. The good news that those Israelites may not have been able to grasp is that Yahweh does have a sovereign plan and a purpose that is unlike any other human plan existing in the world.
For these exiles, as well as for Abraham, this faith is the acceptance of a radical promise and a call to an alternative, abundant life. What good news. In the last few verses, the imperatives have a sense of urgency in saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. In this, we are reminded that salvation is at hand. It is an urgent call to repentance, which is a prerequisite to the kingdom of God. Our repentance and God's spirit at work in us convicts us to turn from those wicked ways and from unrighteous thoughts. Verse 8 reminds us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are God's ways our ways. I can attest how very true this is. For many of you who may not know how I came to Second Press, I'll share the story of God's ways and how this came about. Not this recent spring, but the spring before, I was with our son Waylon at a park, and I met Ginger, who was with their three of their grandchildren. For those of you who have been around young children, you know it involves chasing children often to keep an eye on them and make sure that they're not getting into trouble. But miraculously, God allowed us to talk for about 30 minutes while the kids, all these boys, were content with water play. We had the opportunity to talk about our common Union Presbyterian connections, uh, professors that we knew in common, and uh, Montreat, and all sorts of things. At the time, I was looking at leading spiritual retreats in the near future, and uh, Ginger graciously and willingly agreed to read the proposal that I was putting forth. Before I had the chance to follow up with her, Later in that week, I ran into her again at yet another park at Maymont, twice in one week. God has a good way of getting our attention. She gave me her business card, and I reached out. She graciously read my proposal, and in her warm, energetic way, she invited me to join the woman from Second Presbyterian on a trip to Montreat for uh, time away. Having worked there years ago during seminary, I was very ready to go on retreat, having a break from mom duties and uh, wanting to see how retreats were led from a different perspective um, and just to enjoy meeting the new people here through this church. Uh, I went and wow was I in for a treat. I got to know so many delightful women in this church and we spent a re rich and amazing time together over the weekend. I returned home refreshed and renewed in facing mom life and all the other duties of life. A few weeks later, I was introduced to Ellick to explore whether an interim role would be a good fit, and then later interviewed. God way, God's ways and plans are not our own. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, since this was not even on my radar. I have been delighted and blessed by Second Presbyterian, by the warm welcome, the generosity and love shown to me. And I'd like to take a few moments to recap some of those rich experiences I've been able to engage in this past year. I really enjoyed helping in Sunday morning worship, helping to lead Sunday evening worships once a month with Alec and Alex Fisher, and leading Taize a couple times with a couple others. I will cherish memories of Christmas time caroling with our children, going to visit the older adults who 
graciously uh, laughed and applauded even as the children ambled through awkwardly through many songs, cheering them on as well. I have fond memories of visiting the older adults from church at Covenant Woods and also at Westminster Canterbury, and some even in their homes, and some who are no longer cognizant of the visit and may never be, and, uh, but yet they have deeply embedded um, a precious memory in my brain for years to come. I enjoyed the Bible studies at Westminster Canterbury I joined, and the monthly Bible studies at Covenant Woods, which were so rich with all those bright people asking deep questions. The Friday evening marriage class was a true highlight for me and for my husband, Will. It was enriching to hear the joys and the struggles of the couples of all ages and stages who came and shared candidly and for us to all lift each other up in support. I've been challenged and amazed by the wise and intelligent Sunday school leaders who share their gifts. Volunteering at Shalom Farms was also a special time for my family and those whom we worked alongside of. Lunches, sometimes after worship with young parents and young adults was a wonderful time for connection and fellowship. I've truly loved Lectio Divina over Zoom every week for the past few months. People come with such great insights and questions and an eagerness to learn and share together. While in-person would be ideal, I'm thankful for this medium and that it's brought people together even beyond our church that have joined us. The dear deacons have inspired me by their endless commitment and their generous hearts of service to this congregation. The art and spirituality class was wonderful too, although it was short cut short. Like for so many others, COVID derailed lots of special plans for the coming months, namely more time in person with all of you. However, as this passage reminds us, God's ways are higher than our ways, right? Our time was short, but it was rich. I am so thankful for each of you and for the gifts you bring to this church and have brought to my life for all the unexpected blessings of this time together. For us humans, the wonder of divine grace and mercy and the access to salvation are hard to understand. But God cements these concepts in these final verses, reminding us once again that God's ways and thoughts are higher than our own. God's plans and vision are broader and more inclusive than ours are. The invitations throughout this passage to seek, to call, and to return have such force because God allows God's self to be found. And once again, God is initiating. God is drawing near to us. God drawing near to us, this is the gift of salvation. Us drawing near to God is our gift back to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, may we realize your many blessings in our lives and all around us. Help us to realize our own despair and lack of trust, realizing sometimes our vision of you is not big enough. We thank you for the gift of your salvation. 
May we, we receive afresh with open arms the gift of you. We offer our lives to you, knowing your thoughts and ways are higher than our own. In Jesus' redemptive name we pray. Amen.